0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Nick Chromiditis. He's the CEO at Hunt Club, New Coast Ventures, and he was a Forbes 30 under 30. Nick, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Kevin. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, man. You're, you're doing a lot of interesting things, but maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure. So I grew up in, uh, in Glenview, Illinois, which is a suburb in, in north of Chicago. So it's okay. about 13, 15 miles away.
0: Okay. So born and raised Chicago, um, you, what kind of got you interested in technology and startups early on? That's
1: a great question. So I think really, you know, if you look back in my background, I was always doing weirdly entrepreneurial things. So, you know, I remember like in kindergarten, I used to trade pictures of that I draw for lunch tickets and and sort of, of of doing you know all sorts of strange things like that. So I think it's the four way entrepreneurship started at a pretty early age. As I got older, actually, I actually played college tennis, so I'd always teach tennis lessons on the side. I was always eBaying things. And I think I really fell in love with technology a little bit later in my career when I realized, you know, it's essentially you have distribution and access to anyone at any given point versus traditionally trying to sell somebody or some something on a storefront or, or you know, in words very small or intimate or one to on one access. The idea of like that scale and distribution was was something that was always really exciting to me as a, as I kind of started to learn and understand technology.
0: Sure. So you you went to university. What did you take at university and why did you decide to take that?
1: So I went to Vanderbilt University and then I studied corporate strategies and communication. So I doubled. And, um, you know, it's really a lack of not knowing what I wanted to do. I just picked the two things that I thought were interesting. So corporate strategies was, uh, you know, it was a combination of, you know, all sorts of different business courses so marketing um, finance, economics, entrepreneurship, and then communications was you know all sorts of different levels of public speaking and history of rhetoric and things like that. So it's I think the two the two combine very nicely for a business sort of path. But truthfully, when I chose, I just basically picked out of a hat. Um, I had no clue what I wanted to do.
0: No, it's it's interesting, man. Like I I love when people are kind of honest about that stuff, right? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that they come out of high school and they're like. I don't really know what I want to do with my career or as a career or, you know, like, so I, I think that's, that's interesting. And as we kind of move through kind of your career, I, I think like it, how you kind of came to where you are now is, is interesting. So you graduate university, walk me through what you did kind of after that.
1: Yeah. So my first job out of school, so I was, a. I played college tennis okay. at university. And so my first job out of school, I actually coached the uh, the Northwestern Women's Tennis Team cool. in, uh, in Evanston, Illinois. So, yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was a it's really interesting segue into uh into my career because it was something I'd like, played tennis every day of my life up until 22 and then uh and then went and coached my first year and you know, was uh was leading a group of about 12 really high-performing young women. We were uh we we're number one in the country for a portion of the year, won the Big 10 championship. So, it was uh it's a really interesting kind of start to your career. and has nothing to do with what I'm doing today.
0: Sure. No, that's great. So you, you did that for a while. You worked at KPMG. You you founded a mm-hmm. company. Um, kind of walk me through that whole kind of peep part of your life bef- up until you decided to found New Coast Ventures.
1: Yeah. So so always wanted to get into consulting. Okay. I thought from my understanding of what consulting was, it was a great way to start a new career in business. You'll get to see multiple industries, work on multiple problems, work with clients, learn sort of a very you know, wide range of skills. So I thought that'd be a great way to kind of launch my career. So ultimately, after uh, after Northwestern, I networked my way and do a job at, at KP&G. But the interesting thing is the way that I did that. So okay. basically, at most of the big four firms, or, or really any big firm, consulting firm, if you don't get hired out of... Uh, right out of college, so Mm -hmm. through their traditional recruiting program, you actually, it's really difficult to get a role there. Interesting. So what I did, yeah, yeah, because they have their training programs, and so generally they hire like 70% via interns and another 30% via, you know, folks on, on campus recruiting that go through the traditional application process. And so what I did was I had this idea. So when I graduated from Vanderbilt, I came back to Chicago, and I started networking with other Vanderbilt alums and there are four people from Vanderbilt that live in the city of Chicago okay. that actually played college tennis at Vanderbilt like I did. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That, well, the funny, the funny thing was they're cumulatively worth, you know, over $500 million between the four of them. Wow. And yeah. And, and they, they were all willing to take a call with me or meet with me or help me with career guidance because of, uh, you know, because I put Vanderbilt tennis in the subject line in my email. So, what i did when i when i was trying to get a job in consulting was look well i'm going to create actually a social network for former student athletes
0: oh, to uh
1: to network with one another one another yeah sure so i did that got it to vanderbilt northwestern um started building like and that was my third and i kind of recruited a former co-founder co-founder who's actually my co-founder today um at new coast and on club yeah to, uh, to build the site it was called Athliance and then basically used that as a as a Trojan horse to say, hey, I'm um, you know, I can be a high performing person. I'm not just a tennis coach, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, here's what I do,
0: here's what I did on the side, I understand technology.
1: Would you be open to getting me a job? And KPMG ultimately took a chance on me.
0: That's that's actually really good advice, right? I love how people kind of figure out alternative ways to kind of get in front of a company or or somebody that they want to potentially work for or talk to or or whatever. Right. So I I think that's really cool how you, you you did that. And so at what point did you decide to kind of start new coast ventures and what exactly is it?
1: Yeah. So we started new coast about three years ago now Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's a hybrid innovation studio. So what we're doing is we're actually investing in companies. I raised a small fund to do that.
0: Okay. Um, we're
1: starting our own internal companies, so our own concepts, and then we're actually a small digital agency. Oh. Okay. So it's uh, Yeah. So we're doing those three things, and the first, as you know, the first company that we started out of that incubated role is uh, is Hunt Club, which is a yeah. referral recruiting platform.
0: Sure, and we'll get to that more in deep or yeah. deeper later, but. But sure. So okay. So what exactly? Like you kind of obviously just kind of gave a quick overview, but like for people that don't really understand the space, what does that really mean? And what do you guys kind of walk me through the whole process of like going from idea to actually kind of launching something?
1: Yeah, so for what that really means, if you distill it down, it's we build technology for other people okay. that pay us as like a traditional vendor. Um, Got you. We, build our own, we build our own products and services that we think are a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then we invest money into people outside of our ecosystem that are building cool things that we believe in.
0: Got you. Okay, that's very <laughs> cool. Keeps it fun, right? Yeah, yeah, you know it's for us, if you look at a lot of the things that
1: we're doing, they uh, it seems like they're pretty disconnected, but they're all relatively connected to some degree. So as we you know build great things for clients outside of our own ecosystem, um, we develop relationships. We understand and learn their problems and we can actually build technology that that's under our own brand to help themselves in those problems so it's you know a lot of people and we talked about the next question being like how to take an idea to traction or an idea to a product to a sale you know a lot of it's contingent on understanding a customer's problem Um, and there's no better way to really understand the customer's problem than to really you know work with them on something and really understand their pain point and and kind of you know what it is they're really looking to solve that problem
0: Sure. So, how do you guys decide who to work with? Then,
1: yeah, from uh from you know an entrepreneur's perspective, investing or or just uh, from a
0: client's perspective. Well, almost both. I'm curious to know kind of how you guys decide that.
1: Yeah. So, for the entrepreneurs that we back, um, you know, really what we look for is is kind of two or three different things. The first is someone that's gritty that is building sort of their life's mission and so if you think about some yeah. of the, the, the some of the founders we've backed, if you look at their trajectory as a company they uh they probably should have shut it down at two or three point times before they even come to us for funding but they're so obsessed with solving that problem that you know it's 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 just something that they're going to figure out so a great example of that is a guy in our portfolio um, named Julian from LearnMetrics, so he's been building his company for five years now, yeah, and uh, has it at a great point. But before that, he was uh, and what Learn Metrics is, it's uh it's sort of like a Mint.com for education. Oh, so interesting. It's, yeah, so it's, it's a really, it's a really cool company, a really great product. So what they do actually is, is what he did is fascinating. So he was a teacher beforehand,
0: okay, and then uh,
1: and he's also a software engineer. So he basically built out this massive spreadsheet that was his platform. Um, because he wanted a better way to understand how his students were performing okay and so basically he took the leap of faith to start his own company and and you know five years later he's gone through a lot of twists and turns and ed tech is a very difficult sale but you know that's the type of guy that it was rooted out of something he understood really well and he was passionate about so you know he's gonna do what it takes to figure it out
0: sure but I, but i also think like that's also really good advice in itself. Like just because you know the industry and you're, you you even could have a really good product, sometimes it takes years before it catches on, right? Like so many mm-hmm. people read online that they like launch a startup, they become a billionaire, and they live the good life. Well, it's like that, of course, that can happen. But it, it can take a decade or a decade of failures to pivot into a success that you could sell for a million bucks or or something. Right. Like I think if, if you're not willing to grind it out for a number of years, you can still be successful, but it's a lot harder, at least in my experience. Yeah.
1: No, I I think that's dead on. It's, you know, every, so we've done 24 investments today and we've been investing for three years and you know, all the companies that we've invested in the companies we started internally, it takes twice as long as you think it will, yep. you know, twice as much capital. Um, so if it's if it's not something that you're if you want to start a business today mm-hmm. and you're not willing to dedicate 24 months to it before you have any sort of idea of traction um, or a customer or really, you know, a good first version of the product, I would say don't even do it because it's you're, you're going to get to a point where, you know, the frustration of all the barriers to get something off the ground will eventually prohibit you from actually doing it. And it's just you not know, so – I like to tell everybody that we work with and when we're starting something, you know, this isn't a flash in the plan. Let's do everything that we can to uh, to minimize our risk. But let's understand that this is going to take two years before we get on a decent baseline. Sure. So are we really going to commit that to it?
0: No, that's fair. So you, you said kind of earlier that you're looking for people that kind of have the drive and passion to kind of stick with it long term. How do you – like, what do you look for in an individual? Because obviously, like, you, at some point, you need to decide to take a chance on them. But what do you kind of look for? Or are there certain things that, you know, you can recommend to people that they need to kind of work on if they don't have the skills or that you're about to mention?
1: Yeah, so I think it's, it's like perpetual improvement. Okay. So, you know, my take on business, right, is the things that people need to be successful in business, anyone really can do or has the to do, qualities internally to do Okay. Um, as long as someone's willing to to learn and move quickly as as fast as possible. So, you know, really what we look for is if we're talking to somebody that we're interested in and they tell us, but it's a little bit too early or, you know, we think there might be some things that we need to flush out and figure out or they need to figure out. Mm -hmm. You know what we'll say is come back to us in three months and let us know what you're working on and what you want to achieve in those three months. So the best litmus test that I found to really understand if someone can uh, will build, you know, sort of what they they say they can or what they want to is you're really understanding what it is they're trying to do in a quarter um, Mm, and seeing if they actually do it. Follow through is so important when backing a company.
0: Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense, right? It's kind of like the proof's in the pudding, right? Like whatever, like, if you tell me you're going to do this, if you don't attain it, at least tell me, like, why you didn't attain it, right? I think that's just as important, right? Because new things could absolutely. pop up. You have no idea what's going to happen, right? Like, sometimes in a startup, things change weekly, or, or sometimes if you're moving that fast, like, daily, right? Which is kind of... Ab- Go ahead, sorry.
1: No, I was going to say, absolutely. Like, you don't have to hit everything perfectly, but if you have an understanding as to why you didn't, you know, that shows that you have enough kind of enough understanding of the game to make something successful.
0: Sure. So are you guys just working with kind of local Chicago-based companies, or does are you guys kind of spread out across the states, or, or kind of how do you decide geographically where to invest?
1: Yeah, so we're pretty widespread. Okay. Um, we've done three or four investments in San Francisco. We've done Um, a bunch in one or two in New York, really primarily where we're focusing on though, going forward is building businesses in the Midwest. Okay. Um, just because that's where we're from, that's where we're headquartered. It's where we can kind of, you know, give certain strategic advantages. It's, it's really kind of in our backyard. So we think that we can lend a hand via our network or. We're really just kind of helping in person as much as we possibly can since it's so close.
0: Sure. So you mentioned you've done mm-hmm. 24 investments. Are you guys kind of sticking in certain verticals or does it not really matter? Or how do you guys kind of decide which kind of verticals you guys pick?
1: We're pretty vertical agnostic. Okay. I will say the last 12 months, what we've been focusing on more so are uh, technology-enabled services and marketplaces. Okay. Um What does that mean for people who don't
0: know what that means?
1: Yeah, so I love tech-enabled services for a number of reasons. So what what that means is essentially if you think about a a traditional service, right? So Mm -hmm. um, accounting, a bookkeeper, or consulting, or estate sales. We just invested in a company called Everything But The House that does uh, online estate sales.
0: Okay, interesting. What it,
1: what it means is essentially you can take a traditional services industry and apply different pieces of technology around delivering that service to, uh, to get better margins, to get certain efficiencies that, uh, that a traditional services company can't. Sure. And so the reason why we love that model is because um, services generally, you can start generating revenue very quickly. Sure. So, and obviously, you know, as a business or as an early stage company, revenue allows you to Cure some of the other pain points of, of, you know, maybe missing targets or, or other types of hiccups. So uh, we really love that model. We think it's a great model to building a successful business in the Midwest. So I think, uh, and especially with a lot of the distraction today in technology, where people are launching things every single day, it's getting increasingly more difficult to actually get someone's attention to, uh, to buy your product. So I think building a services component first, and then building, you know, technology to amplify that service is a, is a model we love here.
0: No, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of, it seems to be the next kind of big trend is kind of, maybe you still, yes, build a tech web mobile component, all of them, hardware integration, whatever. But actually going back into kind of the physical world and then bringing technology into it, like you just mentioned, right? Like with yeah. with that startup, with the estate sales, like that totally makes a lot of sense, right? And Amazon's even doing that now with their little like Go pop-up, like, G- little grocery stores right which so like mm-hmm. I think big companies are starting to do it as well and I think you're right like you guys are in this kind of up-and-coming sector that makes a lot of sense right and so I think for anybody listening that you guys are you know kind of if th- if that's what they're looking to do and you guys are building tons of these like you guys have been through a bunch of these now you're working through a bunch of these now just having somebody that understands kind of the struggles that come along with trying to bring technology into something that maybe an industry that doesn't necessarily known for being technical, right? Or having technology in it, really.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I think it's, it's one of the reasons I'm excited about the Midwest too. Because sure. if you think about the Midwest, what we have is quite a bit of the fortune 500 here, mm-hmm. um, a very large services component. But uh, but not a lot a lot of huge tech company acquirers. Right. So you know we don't have Google, Facebook, Amazon, anyone really headquartered here. So it's the types of things that work here, I think, are a little bit different than uh, that work in other regions, either on, on either coast. So I think uh, you know it's it's one reason why we focus in that sector because everyone it's a very 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 big services market, and I think uh, focusing on that allows you know the folks that we back or the things that we build to get traction quicker.
0: Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. And I, and I also kind of like that, that you guys are basically, you understand kind of what works in your market, right? And and you're kind of going after that, right? Because yeah, you could probably create like a Silicon Valley stereotypical startup, but you're right, like if you don't have big companies around you like Google or something to potentially work with or buy, like it's a lot harder. It's It can happen, but it, it's harder, right? And sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to, to do something that just makes it a lot harder on, on, the company, right?
1: Totally. I, I liken it. I use this analogy for a lot of the companies that we you know talk to or look at. It's it's like the they call it the orange grove uh, analysis. Okay. Whereas like you wouldn't start you wouldn't start an orange grove in uh, in Chicago or the Midwest or uh, or really you know any type of farming business that relies on warmer weather because it will die. Sure. So it's it's really focusing I think on the things that your ecosystem or whatever market you're in can provide strength to will give you a leg up. Um, and I think it's something that you know, I've learned the hard way a couple times and, and I've also watched happen here a bunch.
0: Sure, I think that's a really good way of putting it. I've never heard that before, but I, I think that that's actually a really good way to put it, right? So I'm, I'm curious, you're also CEO of Hunt Club. What exactly is yeah. Hunt Club? And why'd you guys decide to kind of launch that as your first product under uh, New Coast Ventures?
1: Yeah, so hunt clubs it's a it's a referral uh technology service. So the whole idea is instead of using a traditional external headhunter or recruiter, leverage a network of well connected people to uh to refer for open positions. And so it's it all started about I think two years ago, two and a half years ago, I just find myself constantly referring people for jobs. Sure. So recruiters would ask me, Hey, do you know anybody or do you know this person? And I would say, Sure, you know, can me. Be recruiter acts, so on and so forth. And then I did this, you know, nine or ten times. And then ultimately, what I, you know, what I was finding out is the recruiter would take that person um, through my relationship or social capital and make tens of thousands of dollars placing them in a new role. And so I started studying the industry a little bit more and started looking at some of the best recruiters. Um, so think of like executive recruiters at large firms. Yep. And what they do is they, they talk to, you know, they call them sources, but they talk to, you know, if, there's a, if you're a CMO recruiter, they talk to other CMOs all day, every day, and ask them, who's in market? Are you interested? Are you interested in this role? If not, who's in market? Who do you know? Who do you like? Yep. And so I thought to myself, that's a really inefficient process um, sure. for two reasons. The first is it's not incentivizing everyone involved. The second is, you know, they're just dialing and hitting the phones all day. So I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way to improve that. So that's why we built Hunk Club.
0: Interesting. Okay, so how exactly does it work? If I'm kind of a, a recruiter,
1: yeah. So it's it, it, if you're a recruiter on our team. Um, so we call them the kind executives, but okay, you know the it, basically what we do is we partner with um, you know a lot of different types of companies, so large public companies to growth companies. Some of our biggest customers are you know folks that are hiring for fifty to sixty roles a year. And oh, so wow. what we do is we partner with them. We understand like exactly what the roles that they want to place are, who they are and what they're looking for. Okay. And then, uh, and then we leverage our platform to generate referrals for those positions. So okay. think of it, if we're doing a VP of marketing, um, you know, we've got a network of over probably a couple hundred thousand potential referrals for marketers sure. that, uh, that we can essentially tap into. And so as referrals come back, we uh, our team, our services team screens those referrals, make sure that and sort of soft sells them, make sure that they're interested, make sure that they're good and kind of fit the spec and then sends them to a company and then works with them, you know, with that hiring managing manager from start to close.
0: Got you. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, if I'm an influencer, how do I kind of put my network out there and start referring people?
1: Yeah, so we do it we do two ways an influencer can refer. The first is when you sign up, you can drop your network in um, via Excel spreadsheet. And so it's super seamless. It takes about you know, two seconds. Okay. And, then, uh, and then there's really two ways for an influencer to refer. The first is that we'll actually, our platform will uh, we'll send you recommendations of who in your network might be a great fit for a role. Okay. And so all you have to do there is really click a button and say, yes, this person's great. Feel free to reach out on my behalf. The other way is we built basically a job board um, internally for all influencers. So as, you know, Kevin, you're out and having a coffee meeting with someone or a drink or something along those lines, they tell you I may be looking for what's next. You can actually go on mobile and see, uh, you know, what roles are open and refer them directly via there. So it's really a push and a pull sort of methodology.
0: Got you. Okay. that's So how does that kind of like from like a privacy side of things, how does that kind of work when I'm like – I think oh this person could be really good for a role, I reach out like I guess how much access do you have to my just randomly contact people like it sounds like I have to approve everybody that you guys reach out to on my behalf?
1: Absolutely, so that's that's exactly right and that's sort of the Hunt Club promise is like we never reach out to anybody. Or use anybody's social capital unless one of our influencers refers them or gives us permission.
0: Gotcha. So okay. that point
1: is so important to us because it's you see so many bad actors in the recruiting space, sure. you know, loosely using other people's names or reaching out without really getting clearance, and it's you know something that we want to build from the start is a great community of trust with our influencers.
0: Sure. So for for people that don't really maybe have never heard of Hunt Club, like. Kind of walk me through. So I refer a buddy. He gets a job at this company. What mm-hmm. happens?
1: Yeah, so what happens is then you'd, uh, you'd be eligible for a pay-it-forward reward. We call it a pay-it-forward reward. And it's uh, anywhere between two dollars to $5,000 actually for that referral. And it depends on what level of the role it is. So for some of our executive roles, you know, the fee structure goes up, so the, the pay-it-forward reward goes up. For uh, for more of our mid market or entry level roles, it uh, it's a lower lower value. So, okay. um, literally, you refer your friends. If you ever want to check in on how that referral is going, you can log into the dashboard and check, or you can contact someone on our services team. And then uh, and then from there, it's out of you know it's out of your hands. If they if they get the role, you'll get a check from us within uh, within sixty to ninety days after they take the position.
0: Got you. And then I'm assuming you guys monetize by taking a, a cut of that referral if, if that happens, or how do you guys monetize this?
1: Exactly right. So we operate um, traditionally in a, in a similar business model to a lot of firms. And so firms generally do two types of models, either a contingent, so you know I don't pay you anything unless you place a role, or a consulting model. So it's you're going to pay me regardless if you place a role. We don't think those are the best models, so what we do is a shared risk model. Okay. so you'll pay a very little upfront to start working with home club and then uh and then a lot more if we're successful and gotcha. then uh, and then we take a piece of that and distribute the rest to influencers
0: no I I think that that makes a lot of sense and and it, it's interesting because I I think you're right to your point like a, a little while ago that the industry is kind of broken right and and I and I like companies that are trying to fix that like like what you guys are doing because you're right they just kind of cold call or cold email all day long right and reach out to people all the time just saying like do you know somebody for this and it's like well it's interesting right because some people find that kind of super annoying like you'll see on like linkedin this is like recruiters do not contact me right but if like right. a friend says sends them saying like hey man like i think you'd be really good for this and you know if you especially if you know the company or know the person that you're connecting it could be really beneficial
1: Totally. And I think you hit on like a really, really important point of what the, the value of what we're doing is, is a lot of really amazing opportunities actually get lost because of who packages and presents it to a candidate or a person. Fair enough. So what Hung Club does is really kind of take the power of, of almost like a team sport in recruiting where, you know, someone may not be looking, but if, if the right opportunity comes across their desk from the right person that they trust um, and it is that right opportunity, you know, we don't want those folks to miss out on it. So it's, I think, you know, really, it's it's how do we get the best people referring the best people for things that are important and relevant to them.
0: No, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. So you were also named a Forbes 30 Under 30. Kind of how did that come about, and why did Forbes select you? Like it's kind of obvious, but I I think like I'm I'm kind of curious. Walk me through that whole process. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know it it was uh, I was honored to get it. It's a, it's an amazing reward, especially in the category I was in. Um, sure. but really it, it, uh, it, I got nominated by a couple folks that we do business with, um, that are friends. Okay. And from there, you know, it really was just filling out an application and having a few phone calls and interviews and, and, uh, and got the, uh, got the award a couple months later. So it was, it was a really straightforward process. And I think, um, uh, yeah, I think it helps that I was nominated by a couple folks that had received it in the past
0: Okay, so Forbes calls you and kind of gives you, like, asks you a bunch of questions? Like, like how does that kind of, what do they kind of ask you, I guess?
1: Yeah, you know, they really want to dig into, you know, why, why you started your business, who you are, what you're doing, what your plans are for growth, you know, what your big picture vision is, and then they dig into some of the more tactical of, you know, how many people currently work at your company, um, some thoughts around revenue numbers or where you can be in the next year what your goals are from a financial perspective and so it's you think of it as really doing a great job of digging through and understanding the the why you're doing what you're doing and then uh and then also digging into uh, to a bit the how you're doing it
0: got you okay and then so like they 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 selected you and then what happens do you have to go fly to their office or like what what is that kind of when they actually give you the award
1: yeah so it's uh it's published in um the magazine, and then uh, there's a couple really cool events that they put on. So I got to go to Boston
0: this year for okay. their
1: their annual Forbes, you know, thirty to under thirty event is, and all the all the folks that are awarded actually meet up there for for about four to five days for you know really amazing speaker conferences. So I got to hear Richard Branson speak. I got Very to cool. hear um, Ashton Kutcher speak, and then uh, and then networking events, concerts, you know, great food events. So it's basically they put on an amazing. An amazing four to five days where you can really, you know, get to know other folks that were in the cohort as uh, award winners, and then, uh, and then really learn a bunch of great content.
0: Sure. So, how many people do they kind of pick every year? Do you know? I think
1: there is a total of somewhere between four to five hundred. I believe there's there's around ten plus categories. So they do marketing and advertising. They do. Um, you know, social impact, they do investing, they do uh, manufacturing. So they, they basically select, I think it's 10 to 12 categories, and then they pick around 15 to 20 people in each category. So it's, I think, I think it's a great question. I don't actually know. I think it's okay. somewhere between three to 500, though.
0: Which is actually, like... That's not that many people. Like, if you take into account, like, how many people are working and that they could have in the magazine, like, that's quite an honor for you to be picked in that, right? Oh,
1: yeah, I appreciate it, man. I got lucky.
0: Yeah, but I I, I like to say it's, like, created luck. You know, I think everybody that's been successful, like, there's some luck involved, but, like, I think you need to keep trying at it until, like, eventually – Something lucky will happen to you, right? And sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes a decade, and you have no idea.
1: I, I think you know, luck favors those who never quit or give up on something, totally. and and care care very deeply about it. So it's, you know, I think what I really try and do with our team and with our and our customers who work with us is try and really let them know how passionate we are about either helping their business or how passionate about it we are. We are about like building you know, the future of sort of entrepreneurs and leaders internally. So it's, I think it's as long as you're aligned with what you're doing and you have passion about it, I think it's ultimately at some point you will be successful if you don't stop trying.
0: Sure. And I think, but you're also helping people find and, and build their own dreams, right?
1: Yeah. Like, it's, uh, you know, when we, when we take someone and work with them on their dream product or idea, it's, uh, it's, an, it's really enriching and rewarding.
0: Sure. So, so what's kind of next for you? You're you're doing New Coast Ventures. You're you're doing Hunt Club. Like, are you obviously you're going to still keep working on those? But is there anything else that you're looking at kind of doing in, in 2017, or you're just going to kind of keep focusing on what you've been doing?
1: You know, 2017, if uh, if we do it correctly, will grow dramatically in each business line. Okay. Um, we'll probably invest in another four to six companies. And then we're looking to start two new companies actually internally.
0: Very cool. So you're mm-hmm. going to be busy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to. Yeah. I'm getting I'm getting married in April too. So oh, congrats, uh, that's
0: the equation. That's great. Thank yeah. You. You, yeah, you, so it's, uh, yeah. You got a lot. You got a lot on your plate, but it's good, man. Right. Like you, you're keeping busy and uh, you know, you never know where things go. Right. That's right. So, so I'm curious just kind of we're coming coming to the end of the show is there any companies that you guys are maybe if somebody you're like i really want to potentially work with a company in like x vertical is is there a thing or or do you not really think like that
1: you know i love very i love unsexy industries i love i love companies and and industries that have never really thought about using um technology before in a way that could help their business. So I think uh, some of the companies that I admire in spaces that I'm, you know, interested, or at least in, in areas I'm interested in are, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rubicon Global. Yeah. They're yeah. uh, you know, they are yeah, I mean like they're building some incredible stuff in the in the waste management and in the in the recycling space. Yep. You know, 5 years ago, you someone would call you crazy if you wanted to build a tech-enabled service around waste management, right? So sure. Um, everything but the house is building an amazing estate sale marketplace using technology to facilitate the whole process. So they're, you know, literally you can, you can sell everything in your home um, with one service provider, which is incredible for a number of different ways in that market. So I think it's what we're really interested in the future is, you know, and Hunk Club is, is tackling a market where, you know, every single recruiter pretty much in every firm has used the same technology for multiple decades with the exception of LinkedIn. Oh. So it's, it's really, uh, it's really spaces that haven't really been touched or thought about using technology is really what I'm interested in.
0: Sure, but you, you touched on something great. Like I think there's a lot of money in the non sexy industries bringing technology into them, right? Like the chances of you creating the next Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or something like, obviously it can happen, but like you can make a very good living or like an extremely good living, like building something in kind of a non-traditional sexy industry, right? And I think sometimes people forget about that, right? And there's a lot of big problems to solve in, you know, kind of tr- non, non-tech kind of spaces, right? And bringing technology that,
1: into them. Ab- absolutely. I think, uh, you know, you think about all the Snapchats, Facebooks, Amazons, Google's of the world, right?
0: There's a handful
1: of those. And then you think about the, not to say that we're trying to build small businesses here, we're, we're going after really big markets, but you know, if you think about the millions of small business owners that are creating and generating massive amounts of income, creating jobs and building great lifestyles, like I think it's, you know, it's uh, approaching it that way. And then scaling with capital, I think is an amazing way to think about building a business just because You've already proven it works. You've proven you've got a customer base, and now you're going out and raising venture funding just to, to grow the hell out of it. So it's, you know, I think it's it goes back to, uh, I think whatever works for the entrepreneur, but I always found that I was better at building businesses when, uh, you know, when I was a customer when I first started.
0: Oh, no, that, that totally makes sense. But sadly, Nick, we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, New Coast Ventures, and Hunt Club.
1: Yeah, so uh, so you can check out www.newcoastventures.com and then www.huntclub.co, that's .co. And uh, and if you're ever in Chicago, we're based here. We'd love, to, uh, we'd love to meet anybody.
0: Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.
0: Perfect, man. Have a good one. Thanks for having okay, me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them for the future.